Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash showmecomics. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Season 1. What? Yeah, ma. I'll do it when we're done podcasting. Episode 13. You're listening to the Show Me Comic Cast. I'm Tim Pickerel, digital media producer for Show Me Comics. And I'm Jordan Taylor, uh, down here. And sometimes when I get bored, I look for words, and I find them in old cardboard boxes with old toys from when I was a kid, and uh, and I just get those out, and uh, I play with them to reclaim my youth, and sometimes a blog or a comic script comes out. And my name is Sam Richardson, and sometimes I like to get out paper and pencil and draw superheroes and characters that I would like to one day publish whenever I start my own comic book company and I take over the world. But whenever I'm not dwelling in the basement of Mommy's house, I'm also our salesperson and marketing person. So make sure right now you head over to showmecomics.com and buy your copy of Hoffa Graphic Novel. That is our debut comic book. It's only $9.99 plus shipping and handling. If you got your order your copy right now and if you'd like it signed or personally... Sketched autographs wherever you want. Send us a message with that. I am uber excited that you joined us here today on the Show Me Comic Cast because we are breaking new ground because Professor Jordan Taylor is here with a new theory in the comic industry. I'm excited to hear this. It's probably not new. I'm just so uh, thinly read that I never came across <laughs> it. Um, but no, in all seriousness, what we want to talk today we might not even get an episode out of this but we're going to see how it organically grows to try to come up with this um theory and see if we can attach it as a definition to behavior that we see exhibited by people in comic fandom and also uh you know aspiring comic artists authors you know web designers promoters things like that um so basically what i came up with when i was deep in thought at work was I heard about this thing called imposter syndrome, and this is a real thing that people talk about, um, and I've got the wiki page pulled up, so I'll read you what imposter syndrome is. All right. The imposter syndrome, sometimes called imposter phenomenon or fraud syndrome, is a psychological phenomenon in which people are unable to internalize their accomplishments. Despite external evidence, so like winning awards, you know, or getting paid for your work, mm-hmm. Of their competence, those with the syndrome remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve the success they have achieved. Proof of success is dismissed as luck, timing, or as a result of deceiving others into thinking they are more intelligent and competent than they believe themselves to be. Hmm. The idea behind this is, say you get a comic book published and sold, and you're like, oh man, that was a stroke of luck, not based on the fact that I'm a good writer, artist, etc. So when it comes up to for the company to say, wow, we really like that, can we uh, get you to do a new project? It's paralyzing when you sit down to be creative because you've got this imposter syndrome that says you can't do this, you can't do this, it was a fluke last time, you're never going to be able to recapture that same spirit that you wrote with, drew with, whatever. Um, and it can be debilitating to the creative process. Okay. That is not what we're here to talk about. What we're here to talk about... <laughs> I was curious. Okay, Let's go with ...is the, the flip side. And when I was thinking about imposter syndrome, if you flip that around and come up with the opposite, that's what I think is also a problem. And that is what I call PBS, or Parents' Basement Syndrome, which is that creative mind that just thinks that they are the best thing since sliced bread the problem is all their unluckiness right or the fact that they everybody else is a jerk you know and they are just wronged and they are awesome and they are at the top of their game and the reason that this is a problem and i call it parents basement syndrome because i picture that 
you know, the troglodyte, you know, but also, <laughs> also it's a lot of times, you know, people who are teenagers, you know, right. that sure. uh, think that the first thing they're going to do out of the gate is the best thing ever. Right. Or and just men child that never progressed, that I never said right? <laughs> but I thought you said chocolate. <laughs> like, what is he talking about? I said chocodile. I imagine a fat kid with chocolate on his fingers and like on the sides of his mouth. Well, you know, tomato, tomato. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> but in all seriousness, what I was trying to get at, this is going to be hard to keep this episode serious, but it is a serious problem, you know, to think that you don't have anything to learn. That's what I really think parents' basement syndrome is right. mm-hmm. a syndrome and is a problem is because if you think that, you know, the cause of your unsuccess is a bad streak of luck or people that are out to get you or, um, hey, my friends all say this is great, so obviously it's great, you're going to miss out on the experience of laying an egg, you know, and right. learning from the fact that, Oh man, what could I do better next time? So on and so forth. So, uh, so let's see if parents' basement syndrome is a real thing. If Professor Jordan has come up with something that can help people um, by having an open, organic discussion about it, and see what we think. So, first thing, take Sam Tim. Do you guys think I'm on to something here? No, I think you definitely are because some of the conventions that we've been to are some of the uh, uh, indie creators that we've talked to. You hear the same excuses over and over again for why their book just hasn't been bought or picked up or why there's no recognition of it. I like how you said, you know, the imposter syndrome is basically people that have pretty bad low self-esteem. You know, they want to say, well, the only reason that this was good or successful or of quality, it was just the circumstance. At that time, this happened and I couldn't recreate this where the, the parents basement syndrome these people, circumstance is why they haven't been successful. It's because, well, I didn't have access to this. I didn't have Photoshop. I didn't have a Wacom tablet. I couldn't draw like that. I couldn't do this because of, it's never because of them. It's never because, well, I should probably sit down, have somebody critique my work, learn from it. You mentioned spending money. I want to make sure we come back to that later. But Mm -hmm. so Protocon, remind us later uh, with your laser beams, but go ahead and Sam. But I remember talking to a few people that, uh, but the last the last con that we did, you know, whenever I would ask him, oh, you know, how sales been? Well, you know, we, we sold a few. We had a people come over and, oh, really? So you, you sell any? Well, no, but, you know, so-and-so famous artist was next to us. And he was, you know, everybody was buying his books. So they didn't have right. money left to buy ours. Or there, it, we, had, uh, we had a toy dealer next to us. And then on the other side was this known artist. So people would just kind of skim by. But if they actually stopped to see it, I think we would have done well. It's not, well, maybe we should probably go back to the drawing board. And it's... it's other things around us. It was the circumstances we were in that prevented us from well, getting our book out. Here's a really good illustration to to piggyback on that is when we talked about our con, as in convention, mm-hmm. experience in a previous episode, we talked about the fact that you were coming on strong to people. Right. Now, we recognized that mm-hmm. and said, you know, they might be a little bit intimidated by mm-hmm. your overzealous attitude. Right. Um let's dial that back a bit now if we had had parents basement syndrome we would have been like what a bunch of wimps right i can't believe we, we right. don't need them anyway right we, we would have find the, it on them yeah instead it, of our approach well i think if we had parents basement syndrome we never would have had somebody up front of the table to begin with we would have <laughs> right. been just we would have been just sitting there <laughs> waiting right. for them to come to us. we have point. we have the best comic and if they're not stopping to look at it that's on them right because now, we've done all the work I don't want right. this to be like a rag on session because, you know, like I said, Professor Jordan here wants to help people. Uh, you know, a psychiatrist doesn't stand out in the street and laugh at crazy people. He invites them into his office, you know. To <laughs> that would be, to anybody from that Project, would be a great sitcom. <laughs> anybody from Project Comic Con that's listening, we're, uh, we're not talking about you. <laughs> no. We're, uh, <laughs> well, we're also talking about ourselves. That, that lets me segue <laughs> right. into the next thing I want to talk about. When... When have we and what have we done when we've suffered from parents' basement syndrome ourselves? Whew. She don't sell. She don't sell. <laughs> yeah, that's... We told that story before. I don't think we need to rehash it. Right. I, let's I just would... talk about our first right. time we created the comic. Uh, when we were younger, you know, and, and we were still in our parents' basements <laughs> or not even in their basements, just in their one-level house. 
Um, I was in the basement. <laughs> yeah, when we were in Tim's parents' in basement, basement everybody was in my basement. <laughs> now your dad comes to my basement to work out. But back then, we were coming to your basement. Um, oh, yeah, at the time, you know, I thought that my artwork was great. I thought we had the best story in the world. I thought we had this great book. And the fact that we were giving it away, it's like... Man, it's free. These people have to read it. They have to love this and let us know what they... They have to tell us how good they thought it was. Not, let's hear their feedback. It was, I can't wait till they tell us how much they liked it. That's what oh, I yeah. thought in my head. Yeah, and that was... We were delusional. We had totally PBS, delusional. hardcore. Uh, I remember... I'll tell a personal story about it. Um, first of all, that first comic that we did was garbage. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. We were tech Or you were texting me pictures from it as a joke yes. the other day, like, yes. just to make me laugh. I still have it. <laughs> yeah, so do I. But <laughs> Unfortunately, if, I have the original artwork. <laughs> if you rewind... And it wasn't just the art. It was... The writing was terrible as well. So if you rewind... But at the time, we thought we were the greatest thing since freaking sliced Krispy Kremes, you know? And we came out and we're like... Oh man, we just got to get this under the right noses of people, you know, and we're as good as gold. Um, so we weren't even really thinking about self-publishing and selling. We were thinking about just printing up a few copies and yeah. getting people to say, how much money do you want, kid? Yeah, you yeah, know? That when so can good. you start? We wanted accolades. That's why we were like, hey, tell us what you thought and how much you liked it. Yeah, so we went to, uh, I remember... It was either Chicago or Kansas City at a comic convention, Wizard World, that we went to. And at the time, there was a magazine called Wizard's Edge. And Oh, yeah. So we went to the Wizard's Edge had a table at the thing. And the, Sam, can you tell the people what Wizard's Edge was? Because it's uh, not around anymore. Uh, yeah, you just had to kind of refresh my memory there. Wizard's Edge... Um, well, Wizard, at the, at Wizard the time, was a magazine right, about at the time, comics and stuff. Wizard, the guide to comics, it was like... Uh, that was the industry standard, you know, like if you were in the comic books at all, right, you didn't have the internet. So Wizard was what kept everybody on the same page. If you were any type of, you know, comic book dork or into the comic book world at all, Wizard was your go-to guide to see what all is going on. What are the newest, you know, rumors from movies coming out? What is, you know, Todd McFarlane's newest project? What's Image going to come out with next? You know, what's the goofiest new thing that Rob Liefeld has screwed up when drawing? Right. And, uh... At the time we went to that, it was kind of like the peak of, of Wizards' time. They created a kind a of a spinoff. Yeah, it was a, a it was sub like magazine. A one issue a year, I think, or something like it, that, it or was, every six months or something. It was, uh, they had that and they had one called Toy Fair. Now, Toy Fair was hilarious. That, Toy Fair, they took like the Mego dolls and yeah, did the stories. Yeah, we could but, go uh, way down a rabbit hole. But on, <laughs> Wizards on Toy Edge. Fair. Was, dedica- was dedicated more towards independent creators and books that, that hadn't been picked up by like a major label. And, uh, when we went to the convention that year, Wizard had like their own uh, like submission booth. Yeah, so uh, I, I remember this story pretty well. <laughs> I so, forgot to you just brought it up. So, like I said, Wizard Edge it was it came out like once a year, once every six months, and it was to highlight, hey, this is all the stuff that you're not going to hear about in regular Wizard magazine because it's indie books. Now, indie books might have meant like Transformers at that time, you know. Uh, or Ninja Turtles. It was basically anything that wasn't Marvel, DC, or maybe Dark Horse at the time, maybe Image. Um, but yeah, so it was still a big deal to be profiled in Wizard Edge. That was like, you know, the the cream of the crop, anything that wasn't Marvel, DC, or, or a couple of the other companies. So um, I remember we went over the table, and we were chit-chatting with the people, and they were we said, hey, we've got this indie book. And they said, oh, great. And we said, hey, we'll give you a copy. And they're like, okay, fine. And they said, can we get your information? And I said, sure, you guys can get our information. I put down my phone number and email address and whatever. And I'm like, felt really good about that. Now, when I walked away, because I had PBS, you know, I'm thinking, man, that, that went really well, you know? Yeah. And probably what they did was th- either threw our comic on the 50,000 other comics that they had in their slush pile, you know, or they said, we're not publishers. We're a magazine. <laughs> this we're not going to write a story about this. So in you go, trash can. Boom. You know. Which if they did that, I mean, shoot, that's their job. You know, they knew what they were doing. Right. So fast forward a little bit. We go home. I think maybe like a week or two weeks go by. And I was at work. And I come home to my apartment, and people used to use answering machines back then. Um, and I see the blinky light on my answering machine. I go over and I push play, and I heard. 
this message that was like, oh, Jordan, I want you so bad. And then I skipped that one because I get those all the time. <laughs> and then after that, it was like, hi, Jordan, this is Karen from Wizard Edge. I would really like to talk to you. If you have time, give me a call back. And when that message stopped playing, I was like, this is it. <laughs> this is it. Like, we're going to be profiled in Wizard Edge. And, like, I was already, you know, practicing my word acceptance speech, you know, in mind because I had PBS. You know, I had this narrow view of what it took to actually be a successful creator. And I remember going over to Tim's house and gathering around with Sam and Tim and being like, Guys, can you can you believe this? And you guys were buying into it just as much. And we were like, that is so, this is it. This is awesome. And I'm like, are, are you guys ready? And we were all huddled around. It's like, you ready to call her back? Yeah. And it's like, man, get the freaking champagne on ice. <laughs> Even though we didn't drink champagne. It was like, get it on Half ice. Half of us weren't old enough to drink champagne. And I called her up. And she was like, oh, yes. I remember, uh, not that, no, she didn't say I remember that. Again, a little PBS seeping in there. She was like, yes, you gave us your information. And we were wondering if you would like to pay to advertise in Wizard yeah. Edge. And I was like, <laughs> wah, wah, wah. And it, like, it all hit me. like Almost like the PBS was just ripped from my eyes for a split second all at once. And I was like, when I gave her my phone number and email, that was just... They were just gathering leads to try mm -hmm. to make money for their magazine. Mm -hmm. And then I went back and I flipped through a copy of Wizard's Edge and you could just tell there was all these advertisements for indie books that were paid for by the creators, which is not bad exposure, but you're still, you're paying for an unguaranteed result. You know what I mean? Right. It, whereas we thought they were going to be like profiling us and saying, Sam, explain to us your unique art style. Oh, yeah, and Jordan, yeah. oh, what was the impetus for this story? It's so awesome, you know. And what are you going to work on next? I mean, um, how many offers right. have you rejected? And but, which, again, the, us at the time, you know, was, why could they not see it for how great it was? You mean they just wanted well, no, to make no, no, money no. off of this? <clears throat> That's yeah. what I was going to say is that was an yeah. extremely important learning experience mm -hmm. to just be gut-punched like that. Right. It was good, and I'm glad it happened. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, Which is funny because I'm sitting here right now going, oh, man, I wish Wizard Edge still exists because I would have <laughs> bought an ad and would have created right. That would have been awesome. Like, why didn't we jump on that thing? Well, our product stunk. Yeah, <laughs> None of us made any money. Right, it, it would have sucked. But still, now I'm going, now that would be an avenue to market our, you know, market our product, get yeah. it out there. That's awesome that they did that. But that was a long way to, to disclaimer yeah. say, anything we say about PBS is not mean-spirited. Because guess what? We've been there too. And maybe we're still there. And there's lessons we haven't learned yet that mm -hmm. we have blinders on our eyes. But... Uh, so to shift away from us, what are some examples? I mean, keeping people's names and details out of it, what makes you guys believe that PBS exists? Anything that allows public commentary on the Internet. You know, True. I'm glad that you brought that up about commentary on the Internet. Here's the weird thing about the Internet. The Internet l lends false credibility to the voice of a uh, PBS suffer. You know, I think yes. I said PBR several times throughout this. No, you said PBS. Okay, it's good. a place where a collection I'm PBR, of it's so. a collection of you know, people that suffer from PBR can get together. <laughs> he said PBS. No, it really <laughs> PBS. <laughs> there only one letter. PBR off. is a baseball thing. I have a shirt that says PBR. <laughs> yeah. Now we're all thinking of just whatever PB. Caps blue ribbon yeah. is what I was thinking of. PB but. and J. <laughs> But to me, the internet, sometimes it's a place where a collection of these parents' basement syndrome sufferers can get together and continue to just foster this delusional, you know, idea that, oh, we're all so great at what we do. And then they actually share the work that they do, but just with each other. And none of them actually like it, but they compliment and tell each other what a good, you know, piece of work they have just so that the other person will compliment theirs back and they don't have to give it to anybody real. Well, that's a, you know, another thing about that is the fact that, like I said, it lends a false credibility is, it's like, let's say we get, 
I could do a review of my of our own comic and say it's by you know Fenton Missouri Comic Reviews dot com, right. and I would say <laughs> this comic is great. You know, it's the holy grail of indie books, and then. You know, because Sam's mom follows a lot of the stuff right. online that we do. If she saw that, she'd be like, wow, this is amazing. You know, <laughs> not knowing that it's me sitting in my parents' basement, you know, right. uh, just saying this because, you know. I like uh, how you would drive all the way to your parents' basement just to post a blog when you have your own house. Well, he's got an <laughs> old, you know, copy of Microsoft Word that I grew up on and haven't. <laughs> learned how to use the new tools on the <laughs> ribbon bar or whatever the heck crap it's supposed to be now um so and but in all seriousness no if she read that she would could be fooled into thinking this is somebody who whose opinions matter or they have followers you know mm-hmm. um so i guess the lesson learned there is watch out for who you're listening to as a creator on the internet right you know because if uh, somebody's giving you advice, it could be terrible. We could be giving you right. terrible advice, but I, I think the fact that we're talking about this as a topic for a show should kind of ease your fears a little bit because, right. you know, we're kind of putting ourselves out there and uh, creating a thing for ammunition against us if we were charlatans. Right. Or, you know what, to go past uh, just the internet, is, let's say that you're a, uh, a PBS sufferer and you have created something. It's not great but you think it is and so uh you know your your mom and dad hear about it and they tell some of their friends and they tell a couple of your aunt and uncle so they look at it and tell you what a great job you did they don't even know what comic books are they just see you created something right and so they tell you it's good just because they don't know you're from their family and you drew something oh it's so good and then maybe they know the person that you know runs the local town's newspaper that you know out here collect the current yeah. And so that person does it right. Is that like, current like the fruit? <laughs> Which are delicious. Because I'm hungry now. But, but let's say all of a sudden you've taken this work that isn't that good, but somehow it found its hands in somebody that's still local but doesn't really read or have anything to do with the product you made. But because it's a part of that group, like a part of that town, they feature it and do it right up. Oh, right. you know, so-and-so did this local story in this comic book and check it out. And so now you have a PBS suffer. And that's just taking that ego and oh yeah, giving them that false uh, that false confidence. They're like, well, hey, I was featured in a story. All these people told me I did well, and it's like, no, you never went outside of your bubble. This was mm-hmm. a local story. These were your aunts and uncles and maybe friends telling you how right. good it was. You don't have anything outside of that to back up how good or how bad that it actually was. Well, I definitely agree with that. I want to try to steer the conversation in a different direction, though. Um, one of my philosophical uh, decisions about the bad thing about PBS is that it prevents you from getting better because you're blaming others. Um, like, I thought I was a good storyteller because guess what? I was one of the better writers in my small group of same people I'd gone to school with from first grade to 12th grade, you know? So I just thought I'm going to write this script and Sam's going to draw it. I didn't think about revision. I didn't think about editing. I didn't think about learning any new tricks um, because I had always been a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Right. Um, So it actually prevented me from getting better. So then, you know, Sam at the same time, you know, he, thought yeah this is good because i know this person in real life mm-hmm. and they're writing this that's awesome you know so he drew it up and then you know in hindsight i can say it was a pretty big stinker yeah um and i wish i could have had several years of suffering from pbs back so what i want to kind of focus on now is one thing that i think might be a symptom of this and that keeps you from getting better is you mentioned spending money on things earlier right um let's start with art what things do people that suffer from pbs waste money on thinking that will make them better and what are the real things that would make them better oh my god these days it's software and programming i mean oh you know i can't afford a a wacom tablet i can't afford a cintiq i don't have photoshop yet i don't have manga studio or let's say you can't afford all that Let's let's approach it from that point of view. A person that can afford the stuff. 
Uh, and then if they have it, they'll blame it on the software. They'll say, well, this thing doesn't create the lines I want. Photoshop doesn't do vector art. This is all the blah, blah, blah. It's well, the software's fault. And what I mean is, okay, man, I can't draw hands. Mm-hmm. I'm Jim Lee in his original rejection letter. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I can't draw hands. You know what? The problem is not that I haven't drawn 500 pairs of hands right. to practice. The problem is this stylus. Right, right. Know, the limit, it'll be the software itself. It's yeah. not there the problem. It's something to do with now they have that they don't have the software. That's why they suck. They don't have the software. Then they get the software, and there's something to do. Oh, the software. Well, and then you get the software, me. and you're like, you know what? I need to buy a sixty dollar book that tells me how to use the software. Yeah. You know. So again, you're not. You're like, yeah. and that stops me from using the software. So you wait two months for the book to ship while right. you're not drawing. Yeah, it's you know. they never learn fundamentals. The fundamentals, you know, in art class you learn is it's not the tools that you have at your disposal. It's how you use the tools that you already have. Absolutely. You know, I, mean, I, I say all the time, man, if I had a Cintiq, I could go faster with this artwork. But the truth is, <laughs> I'm a long way from getting a Cintiq. And even if I did, that doesn't mean I'm going to have more time in my day. That doesn't mean I'm going to draw it any faster. I just use that on the surface as the excuse. Absolutely. I mean, think about in a different discipline how insane this would sound. Like, uh, our kids both do martial arts, and you do mm-hmm. martial arts, Sam. So let's say. Our kids are going there, and they don't practice martial arts at all. <laughs> and yeah. So they don't know their kicks. They don't know their punches. And they're like, you know what? The fabric of this gi oh, yeah. is really holding me back. <laughs> well, no, I need yeah. to get an expensive gi, or I need to get a better chest right. protector. I need to... That would sound insane in martial uh, un- arts. Un- You'd be like, no, you need to... Right. Unfortunately, though, PBS is an analogy for almost anything in life that people are unsuccessful at. Like, we could take this... This translates to everything. Well, in, our, in, our, you know, in our world of the comic books... I can books, hear the dollars rolling in on my uh, thesis that I write on and, this. And my, you know, real profession of being a personal trainer in the fitness world, I come <laughs> across these excuses all the time. I couldn't eat better because my family, they love to have this, or I hate breakfast, or I can't have this in the morning, or I just don't like the way that fruits and vegetables taste. I don't have time <laughs> to work out because i've got this favorite tv show or my work or this or that people have excuses and everything but they never want to say well it's just because i didn't want to learn the fundamentals or i didn't want to have to sacrifice a little bit of time from something else i could have been doing to focus on doing this and getting better well there's also the people that suffer from pbs that don't even attempt like at least your people have like worked out with you there's just the people that sit in the basement that critique everything and never do anything. Right. There's the people that'll just sit around and write on Facebook mm-hmm. like, or something. It's like, this comic's ridiculous. The character would never do this. And I right. can't believe this direction. It's like, you've never created anything. Well, aside from just creating anything, yeah. I think uh, a lot of PBS critics, you know, the people that are, mm-hmm. and I mean almost literally sitting in their parents' basement, but they have that loud megaphone of the internet, uh, is, hey, if you're going to critique storytelling... Study storytelling. Right. You know, if you're going to critique art, study art. You know, take some classes in art. You don't have to be a good artist to critique art. Right. You know, but you have to understand art to be able to critique. Yeah. Or do you really yeah. just want to sit around and complain about things instead of focusing on your own craft? Well, I mean, it would be... Like, a... does it really matter if Perry White in Man of Steel is black instead of white? Yeah, but what I was going to say was it would be insane if somebody went over to Switzerland, you know, where they have the Hadron Collider or whatever. Is that what it's called, right? Is it in Switzerland? Yeah, I think it's in Switzerland. But okay. hey, you scientists can rip me apart I, after I know this. What, I know what you're talking about. It would be least. insane if some guy comes in there and he's like, you know, you're just not jiggling it enough. <laughs> you know, and they're like, what? And then he's like, yeah, you probably used a wrong equation in there somewhere. And you're never like, going to make dark matter like this. Yeah, they're like, can you specify which variable, you know, or which constant we're getting wrong? And they're like, nah, you're just using the wrong equation. Jiggle it a little more. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, a security, get you know, this get guy this guy out, out of here. here. But right. for some reason, somebody can read a comic book or watch a comic book movie and go, it's stunk. You know, I can't believe that they did this and that. You don't hear these people talking about, you know, they really blew it on the three-act structure, you know, or they really didn't do character development Mm. well. Those critiques are out there, and it's by people that actually are good critics, not people from PBS saying, you know what, I've watched a lot of movies, so I know how movies work. You know, it's like watching a lot of movies, and just because you didn't enjoy it, 
doesn't mean you can give insightful criticism into how they did it wrong. You know, they may very well have done it wrong, but you can't tell them how to fix it because you don't know. You just know that you didn't like it. Right. right. And it's like, so be quiet. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that that's the thing is drawing the line between you either like or dislike what I did. That's one thing. You have all the right to like or hate whatever I put out there, but it's when you want to break it down on a technical level. If or you don't tell other people right. that they should or shouldn't right. watch it. You know? It's when you start saying, well, I didn't like this because if it was me, I would have done it this way. Yeah. That's not a reason to like. You weren't coming to me now to be entertained anymore. You were just coming to me to compare yourself to what I did. So in that case, you better have something of substance to back up all this technical stuff you're going to spit at me whenever you do. Absolutely. And so uh, we're just going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, audibletrial.com slash showmecomics. If you enter that into your magical computer box, what that's going to do is sign you up for a free 30-day trial plus one free audiobook of an audiobook service with over 100,000 titles. You know, we're not only promoting this because they're a sponsor of the show, but it's because I use Audible, and I think it's awesome. I mean, uh, I didn't wasn't always sold on audiobooks in the past because I'm like, I don't have a chunk of time where I can just lay in, you know, my bed eating bonbons listening to uh, an audiobook. But that's not what audiobooks are for. They're for the mundane moments of your life when you don't need to engage your brain intellectually, but is atrophying because you're not, such as mowing the lawn washing the dishes, spending quality time with the kids. I mean, all right, maybe not that last one, but any of those things that you're doing, if you have a job where you can listen to audiobooks, that's even better. You know, whether you're a long haul trucker, you know, or you work in a data center, running cable, something like that. That's what I do. And I listen to these audiobooks. This week, we're recommending Game of Thrones by George R.R. R. Martin. You can get this for free right now on Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash showmecomics. The great thing about this is not only is it a cultural phenomenon right now and you can get in on uh, the book version, even if you've seen the show, the book is different, trust me. And it's not different as in you're going to like the show less, it's different in a really good way. Um, Just that they did phenomenal writing on both ends. But what's really great about it is the Audible version is read by a guy named Roy Detrice, and this guy is awesome. He had me running around quoting you know his reading of the book just because he was so powerful i mean he does it all he does the you know the twisted characters he does the good characters the bad characters the female characters even though he's a man and it is golden entertainment so go ahead and check out your free trial right now pick up a copy of game of thrones the first book in a song of ice and fire by george R. R. martin you will not be disappointed you have my guarantee to transition, because I don't want to just pick on artists, and I don't just want to pick on critics, because I'm supposed to be the writer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to pick on writers with PBS. And we mentioned the spending money thing. I mean, you, you walk into a bookstore, you can find probably thousands, if you really dug through a back catalog, of books on how to write. You know, write this way, write that way, don't mm-hmm. write that way. You know, write on a hill, write with Bill. You know, <laughs> uh, the Dr. Seuss, how to write. But... I think a lot of people, writers with PBS, have a probably a bookshelf full of how to write. Nowadays, you have the internet, so you can bookmark pages and also YouTube videos of inspirational how to write. And, uh, oh, this is what Stephen King says about writing. Or sure. this is what, you know, um, Henry David Thoreau, you know, would have said. Or this is what... Uh, you know, Ernest Hemingway had this style, blah, 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 all the way along. You gotta make mistakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you have to sit down and actually, you know, if you're gonna say, Ernest Hemingway, you know, wrote this way, and then you kind of like gloss over and you just think, you know, I remember reading about Ernest Hemingway, how he would go out to his writer's cabin, and you know, that means writers have to work in seclusion. Yeah down to my parents' basement. (laughs) I'm in seclusion. You know, I am Hemingway. That's a little bit facetious. But there is a nugget of truth there is that they focus on the emotionally resonant uh, things that tell you how to write and not the practical drudgery, you know. Um, I found myself, you know, sitting there and I'll go to a web page about writing tips, you know, and they'll have the different hyperlinks in descending order. And I'll look and it's like, correcting your dialogue is a topic. 
revising is a topic, you know, third drafts is a topic, and then finding an agent is a topic. And I'll find myself scrolling the mouse down to finding an agent and click click on it because I'm like, that's the thing that's emotionally resonant. You kind of want to skip all that hard work. You want to, Sam, you're the personal trainer. You want to skip the sit-ups and you Uh just want to go buy the skimpy bathing suit and say, all right, I bought the skimpy bathing suit now. It should happen any day right. now. And it's yeah, like, or no. Even worse is, I bought the personal trainer. I got the fat burner supplement. I should be in shape now. Yeah. So well, no, you got to put in hard work when you're with the trainer. And you got to eat and you got to do all the things when you're not with me. I mean, we talked about the Stephen King thing that people think he's a good writer. And he has a book on writing. And the very first half is like his story, how he became a writer. And it's fascinating. And the second half is how to freaking be a better writer. And I would find myself being fascinated with the first half and kind of putting the book down on the second half because I just wanted to hear about the, you know, he says he had a nail in his wall that he would just post all his rejections on. And that's so poetic and it's so fantastical that somebody with PBS focuses on that and they're like, all I need to do is submit and get rejected 500 times and then I got it. And it's like, uh, you didn't skip to the technical section where he told you he learned to do a b c d e f g things different you know and he he did it different so that's my little writer tirade of on pbs don't get caught up with the emotionally resonant how to's get caught up with the you're putting the comma in the wrong place you know or hey this character doesn't have a goal that kind of thing or hey you're spending too much time rewriting chapters one through two or you know, scenes one through two when it comes right. to a comic book script. It's like, finish your finish your script. Go back. Revise it. Show it to people. Get feedback. No matter what, if it crushes your soul, if it makes you cry, that's what you need to do. Right. right. I, I think ultimately, like, Jim or... Oh, I was just going to segue, but let's get your thought first before I segue. Oh, I was just... I think that, yeah, remember when you're in something that is artistic, like writing or drawing or whatever it is that you're doing... It shouldn't be fueled by your ultimate desire to become famous or Absolutely, some monetary gain yes. by what you're doing. And I think that's probably the biggest ultimate failure on the part of all the PBS sufferers. I'm really Everything glad that you noticed that, yeah. Is because, and then once this happens, I'll be rich. People will know me. This is going to be huge. And it's like, instead of going, <laughs> here's the best. I'm going to be the next. Yeah. Blah. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. not just comics people. It's like. Dude, that's a big one on actors <laughs> and you know, I, I, people who are involved in music and things I, like that. I'm going to be the next, yes. you know, Metallica. Or it, it's easy I'm going to be the next freaking BB King. Do people say that? <laughs> no, but it's, it's easy to fall kidding. into that. Even now, like, I feel like, you know, we've learned all these lessons and changed, but I'll still do it a little bit. Like, there's, there's a scene that I had been working on recently in our book that, you know, to me, I'm, I'm drawing this scene. I'm going, man, this is it. This is our scene where, you know... Where Uncle Ben dies and Peter Parker learns with great power comes great responsibility. Right. This is that part of our book. You know, this is the part people will remember. And I'm like, I can't be thinking like that. Like, I get it, what it means to the <laughs> yeah. story. But I can't think in terms of like, yeah, it's going to be so famous one day. But that's the mistake I, I feel that they make is everything is either financial driven or it's ego. You yep. can't do that. You, this has to, you have to be true to yourself artistically. It has to be, okay, you know what? I'm just putting out what I think is an awesome story. I think I did a great job with the artwork. I hope people like it. But it, it has to be, you know, at least you're part of it for yourself. And I think that, you know, I, I want to touch on one more topic after this. But that really, I think, is kind of the thesis statement here, if you want to think about it like that and contrast it to imposter syndrome is, uh, parents' basement syndrome um, kind of says, you know, I want to be famous. I want the recognition. I know when I stepped away from that, let's say our most recent comic convention, you know, I was like, you know, I just can't wait for somebody that I don't know to read this and hear what they thought. Right. It wasn't, I can't wait for them to do jumping jacks and cartwheels right. over what I wrote. It was like, I want to know what they thought. Because right. first of all, I valued the lesson if I messed up. And second of all, I didn't need a comic book critic or an awards judge or somebody to say they liked it. I just wanted to hear somebody say that they enjoyed it. Right. That made it suddenly worth our time. It's like, 
and she still sticks out in my mind. I can kind of see her face is a um, you know she had a little bit of a lighter complexion and sandy hair, or whatever. It was the girl that said, "I bought your book." And I went out to the lobby, and I cracked the page, and I finished reading it in the lobby. Right. And then she came back to tell us that she really enjoyed it. And it yeah. was like, the fact that she went and sat down and read it right there, and after a couple pages, kept turning pages, All right. sent a thrill up my spine. You right. know, I mean, I'll be honest about it. That was what it made it worth it all there. It wasn't, well, I'm glad, but you can't give me a movie deal, you know? <laughs> and I think... And this is where that we tie in the contrasting with the the whole thesis about this is imposter syndrome. That's what they keep getting, you know. Um, they're like, well, yeah, all these I entertained all these people, and I get that, but I'm afraid of the bigger people, you know. Like when it comes to the movie deal people, that they'll find out that all I'm doing is entertaining all these plain people, right? You know, and I think that could help heal imposter syndrome too is realizing that entertaining all the plain people is what it's really about. Right. right. You know, so you don't have to be scared of any of those critics or producers or deal makers because you can leave them, you know, right. really. Well, I well mean, essentially they are people with parents basement syndrome. They just get paid to have parents basement right. syndrome. Well, right. uh, yeah. I guess you could think of it that way. I mean, not to discount getting, exposure through big wigs because that's how more of the normal people find your work is through that exposure so that's hugely important we do not want to discount that as a way of saying we're not published by marvel or dc so to heck with them you know that's not what we're saying Mm. um we're just saying is don't do it for those people use those people for what they can do for your work um, but the last thing I wanted to say after that big preachy moment <laughs> was, okay, so we've said this is a problem. We've identified in ways, you know, you can have symptoms of the problem. How do people fix the problem? If I'm a PBS sufferer right now, what do I do to break out of it? You have to learn to look in the mirror and not be blind. Well, I'm going to argue. I'm going to argue with you a, a little bit there. I think looking in the mirror is not going to help you. What I think you need to do is what we did at that first comic convention when we thought we had the greatest thing through slice, or since sliced bread. We put ourselves out there. That's the one thing we did right. You walked up to artists and showed them your work, and what right. did they say to you? Uh, well, they definitely weren't like, dude. You are the next Todd McFarlane or Joe Mad because no, but they that's, gave you feedback too, right? right? They said you need to work on right. They this. they straight up said this is what you did right, but this is what you screwed up on. This looked goofy. This is why you should do panel breaks and why yours looks weird and all these things that I said. Oh man, now that you said that, I look at it and realize it does look goofy. Yeah, but, I didn't even notice how goofy it looked until you just pointed that out to me, and that's how you get better. Absolutely. That that was my point about the mirror. The problem was I would look in the mirror and I saw Todd McFarlane. I saw Joe Mad. A lot of these artists do the same thing when they need to look at it and realize that's not who they're looking at. They're looking at themselves. And the only way to find out who they really are is to have someone tell them, look, you do this really goofy. That thing you do, you know, with your rendering and the crosshatching, you think that looks really cool. Actually, that's throwing the reader off and it's really confusing. Right. But no, then their mind, they, oh, that's how Jim Lee does it. So that's why I do it, because I'm Jim Lee. I'm the next Jim Lee. Oh, and that's the same thing with me. Like, I I thought it was cool. Like, I'm starting off with a character who's tough and mean. (laughs) And at the end of the book, she's tough and mean. It's like, isn't that cool? You can just read about this tough, mean character the entire time. And it's like, well, no, she didn't change. (laughs) So why am I reading (laughs) the story? Like, nothing. Yeah, not interesting. Yeah, not interesting in the least. Uh, Nothing changed. And. I think for us, the good thing about that for me was we put all this stuff out there. And from a writer's standpoint, the thing I was looking for was the feedback. You know, somebody to contact and say, wow, I really liked it or or what. And back then I thought everybody was just going to say, wow, I really liked it if they called me. Mm-hmm. So when nobody called or emailed or did anything like that, I was like, oh, that's the negative feedback. Right. Because the fact that... obviously didn't resonate at all with them enough to even open up their email program it wasn't a good story it was uninteresting and i need to go actually do something to help that you know so i think 
putting yourself out there and here's a big part of PBS is you've put yourself out there before we know it but you suffer from PBS because the people you put yourself out there for are your family and friends right they're not strangers you right. know they're of course your family and friends are going to spin everything in a positive light you want to go to a no spin place where people are just going to tell you the way it is and it's going to hurt right that initial step out into that mm-hmm. world out of your parents basement is going to hurt but the hurt is going to be worth it well even when you step out i mean there's one thing like if sam goes and shows his artwork to somebody and say listen this is what you need to work on and blah 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 there's two ways you can go you can go the way Sam went and take it to heart, or you could still suffer from PBS. It's like, well, what does this guy know about anything? Yeah, blah, right, blah, blah, yeah, it's then, like he knows a lot yeah, more than you. That's you're blaming it on then it's circumstance again. You're going, well, they're the problem. Like, yeah, or to go back to what Jordan said, taste. Yeah. you know, you realized the negative feedback was after a while when nobody wrote anything. For me, that's where PBS big time because my excuse started becoming, well, Maybe not a lot of people have email right now, you know. <laughs> yeah, the time, no, internet's still dial up. Not, not enough people probably, you know, use the internet yet. That's why they haven't. All right, if I had put a self-addressed stamped envelope in there, it would <laughs> have been uh, lighting up my my mailbox. No, that's good. I'm glad you put that out. So um, if you don't know what your breaking point to break you out of your PBS is, you just got to keep going and going further into that realm of uncertainty. Um, but definitely staying around your friendly community, whether that's, you know, other people with PBS or just friends that aren't interested in comics and you show them the comic, they're like, wow, you made a comic. That in itself is great. You're great. You know, uh, they're not going to be able to give you the same feedback as somebody who's, you know, made comics in the industry. That was my, totally that was my family at Christmas Eve when we had first finished that first comic and I was showing it off to everybody. It's like, this is amazing. You guys did this. Right. Well, just a great example here to talk about the parents' basement and showing off to your friends and family is our current book. My mom, who's an over-enthusiastic mother who, you know, her son draws and does all this stuff, Big but she has to see it. Big shout out to Debbie Richardson right now. And, and like any mother would, I'm sure if, if my daughter creates anything, she does it in Taekwondo and I'm already all over Oh, yeah, it. But, dude, when my kids make a duty, I'm like, you did a duty. <laughs> but You're like, awesome. Like we talked Not about really. getting outside of your bubble, the problem with staying in your bubble is that a lot of the people really have no interest in whatever it is that you're creating anyway. Mm-hmm. And a perfect example is my mother. Every time I put a picture out there on Facebook, she comments, she tells people how great it is. They should check it out. They should see this. This is the greatest thing. I'm going to order 10 copies of the book for the family for Christmas. Check this out. I listen to the podcast. I do all this. And then just today, my girlfriend Lindsay was talking (laughs) and she goes, yeah. And she goes, you know, uh, Debbie told me that she still hasn't even read her copy yet. (laughs) Yeah. Your parents oh. and your family and your, your friends are going to tell you how I'm great so it is, glad but my they're not in that Facebook. world. So there's another reason why you really don't want to go by their advice. <laughs> they don't spend a lot of time in this world that we are in. Oh, absolutely. So I mean, they're going to support you. They're going to tell you how great they are, which, which they should, and that's awesome. But again, they're probably not even checking out what it is that you're doing. Yeah, and uh, the final thought on that, too, is like, like-minded individuals you have to watch out for, too, because... I mean, we've done it off feeding on ourselves is other people with PBS. It's like, you know, if you come home and you just got shot down big time on your comic, be wary of the people that are saying, oh, don't worry, you know, just show it to somebody else. That'll be fine. But if you come there and they're like, well, what specifically did the people say? You know, oh, well, you know, and they start giving you insightful criticism is way different instead of. Well, you know what? Just your next project, I'm sure, is going to be great. That's right. generic and right. useless feedback. But unfortunately, I think, and this is another problem with the internet, is it's really easy for multiple people with blinders on yes. to all get together and all look into each other's right. eyes with the blinders on and be like, oh, man, this world out here is exactly what we're thinking exactly. it's like. And it. It's not. Right. You know? That's what I said. They'll support each other. They'll even, you know, give each other compliments on their works when they really don't care about it, but they're just saying that to get positive feedback back yeah. in return. Oh, exactly. You know, it's like, oh, man. I remember, and we, tr- everybody wants to be nice. Nobody wants to be overly critical or mean. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I remember when I was going around shopping for some of the indie books at one of the cons we went to, and I was like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to support indie books, even if it's not my cup of tea subject matter wise. Right. But if I got came across an indie book that I thought was overpriced for the quality, I still wouldn't get right. it. You right. know. Mm-hmm. So that was my way of saying, without being mean. Right. No, I think you need to go back to the drawing board, you know. Um, So I think we've uh, covered a lot of ground, and we were actually able to Mm -hmm. make this a topic. So yay for me. And uh, Well done, (laughs) Professor. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I now when my best-selling book comes out and I go on my tour of uh, you know psychology departments all around the country, it's going to be great. Wait um, a minute! Wait a minute! Unless they don't like it, in which case that's their fault. Why is my phone not ringing? <laughs> Tim, have you? Was this not broadcast in real time? No, it's a podcast. So you just cost me fifty grand <laughs> just in lecturing fees. Thanks a lot. Well, that's what I do. You know what? This is ridiculous. We don't need to do a podcast together anymore because I'm going to find some people that, you know, really know what my podcasts are about. The trash still needs to be taken out. <laughs> I'll get it in a minute. With that said, on behalf of myself, Jordan, and Sam, we're Show Me Comics, wishing you the best in your creative endeavors. And for more information about how we're currently suffering from PBS, visit showmecomics.com, and that's comics with a CS, because we know how to spell and other people don't, and that's why nobody's coming to our website. And while you're there, get more than just information, get your copy of our comic book graphic novel, Hafu, only $9.99 plus shipping and handling, and I want to tell you guys right now, uh, we've actually sold out of our first two shipments. Uh, we're about to go for our third one, so we are doing something awesome. Uh, we have a I'm, lot of family and friends. That we do have that. a lot of family and friends, <laughs> but uh, I can say this so far. We have shipped our comic book off to Florida, New Jersey, Montana, two copies to Japan, and I think there was another place in there that was outside of St. Louis, but I can't remember right Absolutely, there was, but I've had too many beers. But uh, <laughs> So it is, uh, so far it sounds like some people are enjoying it, and we've gotten some positive reviews, but as we said earlier... The review we care about most is the one from you. So buy your copy right now, $9.99 at showmecomics.com. And if you'd like to follow us on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash novel or follow us on Twitter at showmecomics. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe via iTunes and review and rate five stars. It would be great. Hey, that rhymed.